This is Invest Talk. Independent thinking, shared success. Justin Klein and Steve Peasley stand ready to take your finance and investment questions and share their unbiased answers. Invest Talk is made possible by KPP Financial, a registered investment advisor firm serving clients throughout the United States. The clarity for your path forward starts now. Here is KPP Chief Executive Officer, Financial Advisor, Justin Klein. Good afternoon, fellow investors, and welcome back to Invest Talk. This is our Wednesday, October 12th, 2022 edition of Invest Talk. We are now into the fourth quarter, and we remain in a volatile market. And whether uh, the weather is beginning to change, and you might want to be sure that you are paying attention to the changing of of the markets, uh, not just in the near term, but uh, in the long term, we're entering a new phase where uh, long duration assets are going to struggle. Uh, companies that are have valuable bits in the sky are going to be less valuable, and companies that have solid business models and molecules, shall we say, that we need to run our daily lives, those are going to be valued more so than they have been in the past. And so this is a a new market regime, a new market environment, which means you have to keep your eyes wide open and understand the risks of all the the investments that you're holding. Understand different types of investment risks. There are currency risks, there's duration risk, there's market risk, there's company specific risk there's credit risk there's a lot of different types of risk that every investment has various levels of exposure to and that's within asset classes and between asset classes okay so i'm justin klein and i'm here for this Invest Talk podcast to help answer your finance and investment questions. I'm going to do my very best to provide you unbiased answers to those questions. And as always, the phone number does not change. It's 888 chart You can call 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Or if you're listening during our live stream program, four to five Pacific time, you can call and talk to me directly. And I've got a, po- a packed podcast for you today. I'm going to touch on the IMF's prediction about global growth for next year. If it's accurate, 2023 will feel like a recession for millions of people across the world. And we're going to dig into the details of their prognostications as we're, you know, we're we're not that far from 2023. Now, time permitting, I'll dig into some other topics. We're going to check in on I-bonds. It's a popular topic as of late because bonds that were bought from May through end of October will earn 9.62% for the six for, for six months before adjusting to the new inflation data it comes out tomorrow. And what is that likely going to be? And then I want to touch on stock options and how stock options, especially from the big tech names, can be accounted for differently and how it impacts the numbers you're seeing on your screen and uh, 
you need to understand what's uh, what's underlying that. Okay. And then lastly, kind of similar to the I bonds, tips, inflation protected securities. They have not been doing so well this year. Tips. So why is that? Okay. So we're going to look at uh, the details there. So those are things that are on my mind, but ultimately I want to know what's on your mind. And we have some voice bank input for you today. One is on Geo Group and a few others. So I've got this all planned for this episode of Invest Talk, and I'm taking your live calls as well at 888 chart. And let's go to our first question now, and it's a live caller, Alan in San Francisco. He wants to talk about investing. Hi, Justin. Yes. Yes. Oh, hi. I had a question on, um, um, I, like, if I wanted to see um, if, like, an investor like Howard Marks, like, what he was buying, like, in, in real time. I know that they, they do that on the 13F reports, but I was just wondering if there's a way, like, a website where, like, I could see what whale investors are um, are buying in real time so I don't have to wait for the 13F report to come out. I'm not sure if that's possible or not. Well, you're 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 not going to get it before the 13F. That's these large investors. They're not going to release their their purchases unless they have to, and that's through the 13F. Uh, now there are websites. Guru Focus is one where they basically aggregate all the 13Fs. Uh, but you're it's lag data, obviously. Um, but you're not going to get it before it's released in the 13F, most likely, unless you have some sort of insider at their you know their their large uh, their large entities. So, um, and it's, it's nice to follow, but it's also, uh, difficult to get in right when uh, you're never going to get in when they buy. And, and by the time you find out it, it might be a higher price. So, um, you know, it's something to think about something to help guide you, but definitely never use that as gospel as well, because every investor can be wrong. Oh, okay. Thank you so much. That, that helps a lot. I appreciate it. No problem, Alan. Thanks for the call. Now we have the first three days of the week in the books. And the big question is what will happen tomorrow? We have the CPI number and that's going to be a big market mover. Uh, I think it's safe to predict that we should be ready for more volatility, but volatility can be to the upside as well. So how could this affect your portfolio and your investments and what you're thinking about buying? I'd be happy to answer all of your questions. So give me a call on Invest Talk at 888 chart Why do listener questions make InvestTalk better? Which of these would you recommend? Because each caller presents fresh questions in their voice. I was curious if you still think aluminum has a ways to go from here. When do I know the right time to take profits? Should I be looking for an exit? Should I be holding here? And listeners instinctively realize that InvestTalk uniquely offers a welcome dose of investing satisfaction. I think you have a terrific show and I've learned a whole lot. Hey guys, love your show. Uh, I've been listening for several years now and I've learned a lot. Justin Klein and Steve Peasley understand what investors need and want. I would look at it from a tax perspective. If there's no tax implications, move on, find better ways to use that money. I'm going with the odds. I think a half position now would at least get you in it and get you watching it so you won't lose track of it. Don't forget to call Investor 888-99-CHART. 
Each day, Invest Talk listeners submit their finance and investment questions via phone or email. Would you like your question to be put near the top of the list? Just take a minute or two to leave a review and rating for Invest Talk at iTunes. And be sure to include a brief question with your iTunes review comments. Now, my focus point concerns the story behind this headline. The IMF predicts global growth will slow next year. And uh, let's dig into the details a little bit more of, of their prognostications. Now, their expected growth for next year is has been downgraded by 2.2 percentage points, uh, lower than its July forecast. And now it's expected uh, the, the economy globally is supposed to uh, grow 2.7% next year, down from 29 Now that's down from 3.2% GDP growth this year is expected, and that has not changed. They're, they're, they're steady on that. But last year, the growth was at about 6%. So you go from 6 to 3.2 to 2.7. Now that's still growth, but for many economies, there's going to be some sort of a, a recession, or at least feel recessionary, especially some of the larger economies here in the US, uh, EU, China, uh, those that are dealing with higher costs of uh, commodities, and uh, especially weaker currencies, uh, and tougher uh, housing markets. So China is dealing with with uh, tougher housing markets, a lot of it has to do with their zero COVID policy, where they remain very staunch on uh, shutdowns and, and making sure China or, or it doesn't spread right uh, throughout the country. And I don't know how advised that is. I think it's pretty ill-advised, but that's what they're doing. And that's uh, certainly crimping their economy. Now, the IMF laid out three major events hindering growth for the global economy. Obviously, the war in Ukraine, as well as the cost of living going up. So crimping expenses or crimping uh, money left over for going on trips, buying physical goods uh, that aren't necessary, right? And uh, China's economic slowdown, which is is centered on the zero COVID policy, but also the fact that their housing market is slowing dramatically. And the property makes up around one fifth of China's economy. So if that sector itself is slowing down, that's going to have some broad-based ramifications. Now, global inflation will likely decrease to 6.5% next year and 4.1% in 2024. And that's down from uh, 8.8% last year. And uh, they expect inflation to kind of peak uh, at the end of this year, which uh, makes sense based on base effects and and economic trajectory. Uh, They say the biggest, the, the part of the citizenry of the world uh, that will be hurt the most is actually those that are in extreme poverty. Because of inflation, 47% of the world lives on $7 a day. Okay, so when you have inflation, they're hurt the most. And so those people are are definitely hurting. Now, they also see risk of monetary, fiscal and financial policy miscalculations. And that the system is showing signs of stress. And so uh, they're, they're calling for kind of backhandedly that the Fed should slow down uh, at least. Uh, but they are highlighting fiscal policy that fiscal policy should not work at, cro- at cross purposes with monetary authorities 
efforts to quell inflation, basically saying, yes, the economy is going to slow, but as governments, you should not be spending a bunch of money because that's going only going to stoke inflation and make it harder for central banks to get inflation down and force them to stay more hawkish for longer, which as time goes on, creates more stress within the system. And they also said they, like Liz Truss uh, in UK, uh, they said they should reevaluate the fiscal package, which they've already done, uh, right? That what, that's what kind of sparked the UK pension crisis was the fact that they tried to pass this large tax cut that the market didn't like, uh, basically saying, hey, the UK is gonna have to borrow a bunch more money and there's not gonna be enough buyers for that. Uh, and that kind of created uh, an unruly uh, guilt system or guilt, guilt market and authorities had to step in. And so basically saying, hey, fiscal authorities don't get too crazy because you could create more instability uh, by making bad fiscal policy. Now, they also see the winter of 2020, uh, this winter to be challenging for Europe because of energy prices, but winter of 23 will likely be worse. So that's interesting that um, they, they are expecting things to, on the commodity front, get worse in, in Europe. Now, Jamie Dimon did step in as well, and uh, he called for the fact that we should be producing more uh, oil and natural gas and that America is the swing producer. And he thinks we should have gotten to producing more in March when the war started. And so he's kind of uh, piggybacking on the IMF comments and basically saying, hey, if you want to help the world, you want to help the financial system, start producing more energy ASAP and basically pointing at us. So that's uh, that's how we sum it up for uh, for today and our main focus points. And not a shock. You wouldn't uh, you shouldn't be shocked that uh, the economy is slowing, uh, going to continue to slow next year. Not all recessions are, are created equal. And frankly, I actually think a recession is a good thing. Now, the question is, can governments or fiscal authorities and central banks avoid a disorderly recession, right? 08 was a disorderly recession, but a mild recession is a good thing. It is because companies that negative earnings, negative cash flows that are just reliant on cheap debt, uh, you know, zombie companies, they're going to go away. And frankly, that is positive for the efficiency of the economy, uh, the capital allocation strength of the economy. Uh, and you can see that now, where for years, because cost of capital is low, everybody was allocating money towards software and, and, and technology. And it created a lot of companies that, that innovated, but a lot of companies that were just there to kind of piggyback on the financialization of our economy uh, and not produce real businesses that have, uh, that, that, have that, that have consistent profits, consistent cash flows. And that over the long term is never a good thing. You want economical businesses staying in business and non-economical businesses going out of business. And so an orderly recession worldwide is, is probably needed. The question is, can they continue to keep it orderly? Now it's an Invest Talk Wednesday, midweek, and we're all watching the market gyrations. And as serious investors, I know you have questions. So our number never changes and it never closes. 
So you can give Investock a call at 888 chart Thomas from Santa Cruz, hang on, you'll be next. The stock market is volatile. It's constantly changing. So how are you positioned? Is your portfolio properly balanced or are you taking unnecessary risks? You can get guidance anytime for free if you go to investtalk.com and take the brief Riskalyze quiz. Let's go to Thomas in Santa Cruz looking at Lumen. Hi, Justin. Um, I'm calling and asking about Lumen. Um, it's a good part of my portfolio. I know that you guys uh, carried it for a while, and I know that you said you weren't going to wait forever for it, and it's been pulling back, pulling back to the point where it's paying a ridiculous dividend, and I'm just wondering if you guys have gotten rid of it. Are you waiting on it, um, waiting for your stamp of approval to basically keep it or get rid of it at this point? Well, it's certainly a high risk play uh, because they do have a substantial amount of debt and they're, they're going through somewhat of a, a restructuring. Uh, but we we love the changes that have been made over the past uh, few months. Uh, new CEO that used to work for GE, uh, Microsoft and I remember the third one, uh, another another big uh, tech firm and worked in operations. So really understands uh, the tech space and, and what is needed from a telecom uh, company like Lumen. So we really like that change. And then they sold off some of their legacy businesses that weren't growing anyway and got pretty high multiples for them, five to, to seven times enterprise value. And right now it's trading at about four times itself. So and the, the assets that it held are much better than those it sold off. So we think it should be trading more like nine times uh, enterprise value and uh, which would put the stock closer to the high teens, uh, which is our value on it. Um, now, the market is worried about uh, the debt levels, although they're paying down uh, a lot of that and where the, those cash flows are going to go. They're going to go down because they sold off uh, you know, significant assets. Uh, now, the, the payout ratio is going to rise from about 50% now to closer to 80 or 90%. Um, but to us, that's, that's fine. Uh, I think they uh, have enough uh, capital to invest in their, in their business and their growth. Uh, but it's, it's a high risk play. It's all about execution of management. And so far, they've actually made some good progress on their more B2B business. And they're kind of letting B2C roll off, selling B2C type of uh, type of type of business roll off. Uh, and B2B business tends to be more sticky, more profitable, uh, etc. So well, we like that the changes they're make, making, but it's it's high risk. Um, could they cut their dividend? I think modestly. And, and frankly, I, th I think a stock buyback at these levels would be more advantageous than any uh, debt repurchasing or um, or anything like that, just because how cheap it is. Um, like I said, currently trading at about four times enterprise value to EBITDA. So uh, we really, really like it at these prices, but it is high risk. So I have to understand that. Anytime you're getting double digit yields, especially in this market, it's gonna be high risk. Thanks for the call. Let's go to Jane in the Bay Area. Hello, Justin. Hi, Jane. How are you doing? I'm doing fine. I wanted to ask you, I got some cash sitting in the uh, settlement fund at Vanguard. And um, I, I've been thinking about maybe investing that money. It's money just I don't need. I just want 
for security reasons and whether I should invest in treasury note, two-year or uh, short-term. Well, we don't love treasuries itself. Uh, if you're if you want something that's super safe, I would be going and buying some of those mm-hmm. I bonds, right? Ten thousand uh, dollars a year. Uh, that's where I would probably start. Uh, you're going to get better than uh, treasury rates right now, and you're going to um, you're going to at least get that for the next year. Whereas two year treasuries, that could you know you could lock yourself into four, uh, but that's only two years. Um, and I think in I bonds, you're going to get better over the next two years. So that's, that's where I would go. Um, you know, it depends how much risk you want to take. Uh, that would be the low risk play. I think the best low risk play, uh, if you want to go a little bit higher in the risk scale, I think high grade corporates going out four to seven years. Yeah. That's yielding close to 7%. We're getting north of seven. Uh, on a lot of those bonds, I think that's uh, another good place to be if you're trying to be relatively um, relatively conservative. Uh, then obviously you get into equities that becomes uh, more of a risk there. Um, so it just depends on how much risk you, you really want to take. I don't really want to take risk on this one. Yeah. I just want to park in the safe place. Okay. Yeah, then the safest, the, the best safe vehicle right now would be those, those I-bonds. Uh, and then you could also buy treasuries through treasurydirect.net. Uh, um, so maybe a little bit of those uh, would make sense if, you, if you're trying to deploy more than $10,000. Uh, but if it's, uh, if it's less, just do the I-bonds, anything more. You could do some short-term treasuries. I don't, I don't have a problem with that. Okay, because I have, well, I'm thinking about, you know, uh, like at least 100000 mm-hmm. So is that, to buy I bonds? Well, yeah, you, you can't. Yeah, I guess you can. If you're doing eight hundred thousand, you're not going to um, get a whole lot um, uh, of I bonds for that. Um, once again, two year treasuries, you're going to lock in four percent for two years, but that's about it. Uh, we rather at these levels lock in longer term, uh, take a little bit more risk in high grade corporates, uh, and get double the nearly double the yield. Um, and you know because. The odds of a rate cut by the Fed over the next year or two uh, is pretty high. So the fact in two years, when if you buy a, 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 a two-year treasury at 4% now, in two years when that matures, the odds of you getting 4% again are fairly low. So I think you're going to be better served by taking a little bit of risk, a little bit, by buying high-grade corporates and getting that 7%. Thanks for the call. Now on the next Invest Talk, story behind this question, is delaying Social Security still smart? We'll get to that tomorrow, but give me a call now at 888-99-CHART. A quick reminder, if there's a term that you hear mentioned on the program, but you're unclear about what it means or you have a question about it, we want you to ask. It's very likely that you're not the only one with that same question. 888-99-CHART. You are listening to Invest Talk. Every Friday on the program and the podcast, Steve Peasley shares highlights from the newest edition of the KPP Premium Newsletter. Listen Fridays to Invest Talk. And now, Steve and Justin welcome your calls and questions. 888 99 Chart. Go to Dan in Seattle looking at ARCH. 
which is Arch Resources, and it's a company engaged in the production of steam and metallurgical coal. So it's a coal company. Do you own it or looking to buy it? I own it. Uh, thanks for taking my call, Justin. I uh, bought it on the pullback in, I think, around 116. I bought it for a swing trade because I thought it was kind of oversold. And uh, I've done pretty good. I'm up like 15, 18%. And, but I'm kind of thinking about holding on to it just with all of these uh, energy crisis in Europe and whatnot. I know they sell energy or some of their coal over there. And with all the shutting down of nuclear plants during this energy crisis, I just don't see coal going away. And the numbers with the business look pretty solid. So I just wanted to get your guys' take on it. Yeah, I, I agree. Uh, you know, commodities in general have gone through this consolidation phase since the late spring, early summer. And, but ultimately they've, it's just a pullback uh, on the strong dollar, on a slowing economy, but the structural issues of undersupply of, 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 resources, uh, especially energy resources like coal, like natural gas, like oil, that remains in place. And Arch Resources is certainly taking advantage of that. They lost a lot of money in 2020 when energy prices were rock bottom uh, and coal was just not needed. But now we have the war in Europe and Russia being cut off. And they're a huge exporter of all types of energy, including coal. And so and, and many Emerging market countries are shutting down their natural gas uh, facilities uh, because it's just too expensive, too expensive to import, and it's a lot cheaper to import coal. Um, and then you have uh, countries like Germany that are shutting down nuclear plants, which is crazy to me, and restarting coal power plants. So uh, that's happening uh, as well. So you know, multiple factors, both on the supply and the demand side, uh, means that companies like Arch Resources can earn excessive profits and uh their forward-looking pe is is very low even though earnings are supposed to come down next year i still think they're going to remain uh, very robust and cash flow is very strong and so if you look at let's see the debt on its balance sheet no net debt on its balance sheet enterprise value even at two times uh once again that's going to come down to that even a number but still very very cheap uh, and what are they doing with shares? They are, uh, looks like they're, they've been buying back shares at least since 2017. So uh, I would hold it. I would hold on to my ARCH. Thanks for the call. Now let's touch a bit on I-bonds. Uh, we talked uh, to that caller just a minute ago about where to park some money. And I-bonds are very, very popular as of late. Uh, setting records in, in purchases about $22.3 billion worth of I-bonds have been purchased by Wall Street and Main Street this year. And that is 13 times the amount that was purchased from 2017 up into this year. And there's even bipartisan legislation in the Senate to try to raise the cap from $10,000 per person to $30,000 per person when CPI is above 3.5%. But as with anything, I always look at both sides and we talked about the limits of, of purchasing, uh, also the fact you have to hold them for a year and you don't actually collect that interest. Like a normal bond, you buy a bond and they're gonna pay you a, a coupon. No, you get the money back when you redeem it, that's when you get your principal plus interest. Now, if you buy, if you bought a bond between May and the end of this month, so you can still can lock it in by the end of this month, you can lock them at 9.62%. And this is, this this uh. Uh, I, I think I misspoke uh, maybe a couple weeks ago on w when that that resets 
what it seems like is that whenever you buy it, whatever that the, the prevailing rate is for I bonds is, you get that. And that's 9.62% for six months. And then after six months from when you bought it, then it resets to that new number. And that new number, uh, based on what is expected for the CPI number next or tomorrow to come out at 8.1% uh, year over year, then the I bonds will likely pay 6.4% beginning November 1st. So when you if you buy a bond or an I bond on November 1st or later, or if your six, first six months expires, then you're going to start to get that new 6.4%. Because what happens is it's while the 8.1% is year over year, the I bonds don't look at it that way. They look over the last six months. And so inflation over the last six months, if inflation comes in tomorrow where you expected it to be, it would be about 6.4%. Now, <clears throat> that's still very high. You know, 9.6 was the, the highest it's ever been uh, for I-bonds since they were introduced in 1998. But 6.4 is still very elevated. And uh, I-bonds are likely to offer a yield that's about two percentage points higher than a 30-year or even a 10-year treasury bond. And more, to, more than 40 times the average yield on a U.S. savings account. Okay. And annual inflation has remained near the highest level since the, the early 80s. Uh, but monthly, it's only been going up 0.10% in July and August. And so that's why you're seeing that deceleration. Because once again, it only looks back six months. Uh, what else? I think uh, I think that's that's it. Yeah, you can purchase them at Treasury Direct. Remember, I actually got this email today. Can non-U.S. citizens uh, buy I bonds? No, you have to be a U.S. citizen or a civil a civilian employee of the U.S. Those are the only ones that can buy through the Treasury Department's website, TreasuryDirect.gov. So, I wanted to give an update there based on what is widely expected to be an eight point one percent print tomorrow. Now, let's pivot to the Invest Talk Voice Bank for a question that came in earlier from North Carolina. Hey, Steve or Justin, this is Jeff from North Carolina. I appreciate everything you guys do. I was just calling about stock ticker symbol GEO, GEO Group, wondering your take on their balance sheet, their fundamentals. Uh, technically, it looks like it's coming off a pretty strong low and uh, has a lot of room for some upside. Just wanted to see what you guys think on their fundamental side. Well, I appreciate it. Thank you. All right, this is Geo Group, and it's a REIT that owns, leases, and manages correctional and detention facilities. And there's a lot of controversy around for-profit prisons, and Geo is certainly right in the crosshairs of that. And so the price of the stock has sunk from $30 per share back in 2017 all the way to a low this year of $5.20. Now it's up to $8.32. Uh, but like most REITs pay a dividend, this one does not. They've eliminated their dividend. Uh, probably a lot of to do with uh, paying down debt on their balance sheet. That's probably what it is. Uh, worried a bit about the sustainability of uh, their, their business in general. If uh, there uh, is cancellations of contracts, now the government has to has to abide by the contracts that have been signed, but they don't have to renew it. And uh, there's more, more and more political pressure for them to not renew these type of contracts. And so um, <clears throat> that's the worry here. A lot of political risk 
And you have Biden releasing a lot of nonviolent uh, cannabis uh, drug offenders. Um, how many people that actually releases, we'll see. Uh, it's more on the federal level, which there aren't a lot. Uh, they're calling for state level to release them as well. Um, so I think there's a shift towards treating drug offenses uh, a bit differently than violent offenses. I think that's uh, nationwide. And so I don't love this this business longer term. Now, technically, it's still it's much stronger than the overall market. It's in an uptrend. Uh, and the big question is, will it fade? Uh, will, the, will the stigma around private prisons fade or will it intensify? If you think it's going to fade, then this is probably a buy. If you think it's going to intensify or stay kind of where it's at, I think this was is a sell because I think there's going to be more push towards uh, getting rid of private, private prisons overall. Now we have transitioned in the fourth quarter and the autumn holidays are coming up fast. I know I'm racking my brain for a Halloween costume, but keep in mind that while summer is in the rearview mirror, market volatility is clearly not. So if you need help understanding your financial situation, whether you're on track for retirement, so if your portfolio is constructed effectively for this particular type of market, where once again, persistent inflation, persistently increasing value of the dollar, increasing interest rates, etc. All of these mean different cross currents that affect different asset classes, different sectors differently, and a lot different than we've been used to over the past 10 plus years. So if you need help, I encourage you to reach out to myself or Steve Peasley via our website, investtalk.com, or you can call our office at 800-557-5461 and schedule a free portfolio review assessment via telephone or go to meeting. And that's what we're here to do, to help you navigate these markets and help get your portfolio optimized. So the sooner you contact us, the sooner we can better do that. Now, this is Invest Talk. We will play another listener question next. So hang on. Each day, Invest Talk listeners submit their finance and investment questions via phone or email. And Steve and Justin, thank you for your loyalty. Would you like your question to be put near the top of the list? Just take a minute or two to leave a review and rating for Invest Talk at iTunes. And be sure to include a brief question with your iTunes review comments. Your rating is a vote of confidence that leads to higher visibility and causes more people to discover and listen to Invest Talk. So please tell your friends and family members about the free Invest Talk downloads at iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, and investtalk.com. Remember to include your brief question when you review and rate on iTunes. And of course, your calls are always welcome 24-7. Don't forget to call InvestTalk, 888-99-CHART. Hey, what's up? This is Eric from San Diego. Been watching the show a while, and I just had a question on Adidas. Stock looks decent price-wise, much lower than it's been for, for quite a while and getting an update from a brokerage firm here that commissions are going to now go up starting November for international stocks. So just wanted to get your thoughts on the price as it is today and a potential buying point. But looking forward to hearing what you guys have to say, and thanks for everything you guys do. Bye. All right, looking at Adidas, and I definitely wouldn't buy something just because the commissions are going up a little bit. Uh, there's 
a lot better reasons to, to, to jump in. Um, but Adidas is clearly a solid brand, number two behind Nike. Nike's having their own issues. Um, so Adidas is kind of double whammy is uh, the, the European currency, European economy, which they're heavily uh, reliant on. Most of their sales come from uh, Europe because of uh, soccer or football uh, in Europe. And, you know, they, they have certainly good business here. And there was over consumption of all types of uh, products here in the US uh, in 2020 and 2021. And that's coming down in a big, big way. Earnings in 2019 were $5.44, $4.25 last year, but expected to be down 23% this year, but then another an increase in, in earnings next year to $3.88. So the big problem here is just the global economy, especially Europe. Uh, and is this probably a good price longer term? It, it's definitely getting there. Uh, enterprise value to EBITDA is down to six times, which uh, it's never really traded that low. But we also haven't seen, since it's been a public company in 2005, you haven't seen a global economy, or let's say a European economy this week, even during the financial crisis. And I think this is worse for Europe than uh, the financial crisis as a whole. And then once again, the double whammy of a slowdown in business from uh, the last couple of years and oversupply. Uh, now the big question is where is the support level? And I'm going to say not till about until the high thirties, call 40 bucks. Now it's at 54. So I still think there's potential for uh, more downside. Now volume has picked up over the past few weeks. And oftentimes that marks a uh, capitulation. Now, are we there yet? I, I wouldn't call that. Um, we have I see no indication of a turnaround uh, in shares. Uh, I think a strong euro would, would certainly help. Um, but this is a decent price long term. But know that it could go down another 30% easily because the momentum of the stock, momentum of uh, the European economy, uh, etc. But I like that you're looking at this because it's a quality name uh, that long term has staying power has consistent profitability and i want to pick up those names cheap and it is cheap long term but it's not cheap for the current market or economic environment now let's make it two in a row from 888.99 chart hey steve and justin my name is andy from florida my question is like for a company called mpw it's medical properties i wanted to get your take for dollar cost averaging this one i'm about 10% down from where it is currently. Uh, does it make sense to add at these levels? I would really appreciate if you could uh, provide your guidance. Thank you. I would uh, sell this immediately. Uh, I am not a fan of Medical Properties Trust. They have a ton of uh, debt on their balance sheet uh, and they have exposure to the UK and Germany um, and that that economy. Uh, they're, and they're just not very well run. If you look at their return on capital, um, it's very poor and I'm just not a fan of it. Uh, I would sell it. I would not be dollar costing dollar cost averaging in, I would be selling it tomorrow. So I'm passing on medical properties trust. This is invest talk. I'm Justin Klein. And we have one goal here is to help you achieve your own version of financial freedom. And our work continues after this final break. So get your questions in now at eight at eight ninety nine chart. This is Invest Talk. Is your portfolio balanced? Is it optimized? 
Is it delivering the types of gains you want and need to achieve financial freedom? Well, turn up the volume because there are many questions that deserve unbiased answers. And Justin Klein is here now, ready to take your calls live. 888-99-CHART. Hi, Stephen, Justin. I'm avid listener here from across the pond. I have a question about commodities. You've mentioned um, potentially set for gains when the Fed do eventually pivot. I was wondering um, if I have a small position in Barrick Gold, G-O-L-D, and whether I should add to this position or potentially look at AEM, Agnico Eagle Mines, or WPM, Wheaton Precious Metals, um, particularly Wheaton as a more midstream play. Or would you see investing in the pure commodities themselves, such as gold or silver, as a better, if maybe somewhat more higher risk play? Um, I look forward to your opinion and um, we'll listen to the show keenly. All right. Looking at three gold miners, and I definitely would go with a gold miner over the raw commodity. You're going to get more leverage to the upside of the of the move in in precious metals in general uh now all three that you mentioned we like uh if i had to put them in order well agnico is going to be probably the best going to be the most volatile um they made a big acquisition of kirkland lake and that was a big bet on higher precious metal prices uh and so they've been hurt a little bit more uh as of late because of that um but that'll go the other way uh, if uh, if there is a bottom, so and you're getting a three point eight percent dividend yield. Uh, Barrick is a little bit bigger, um, also three point nine percent yield, also very well run. Uh, but I think Anico will probably do a, a bit better. Now Wheaton is long term; it's not a miner, but it's a streamer, right? So it's investing in the output of many many different mines. And they have basically small ownership in each one of those mines. And so uh, long term, that's a very good business model. Now, you pay a premium for that. You're going to get less of a dividend. Um, but it's also going to be less volatile. So it depends on how much risk you want to take. Uh, I think AEM is the best of those three, a risk versus reward. But if you're looking for something that's lower risk uh, of the three, it would be Wheaton, Precious Metals. Thanks for the call. Now, lastly, let's pivot over to cash flow and especially cash flow when it comes to tech companies. And Snap, Snapchat, uh, was showed a full, full year positive free cash flow number for 2021, and they called it an important milestone to help it fund its growth. However, what was not included in there was that stock-based compensation, which there's kind of these arcane rules around how stock-based compensation is accounted for in the cash flow statements. If you excluded that for the year, that cash flow would actually be negative 799 million. Okay. So there was one point, they had 1.1 billion in stock-based compensation expenses, and that's not, that's not counted, right? In their expenses, Operating expenses when, hey, they're paying their employees. It's not with cash, but it's with stocks. And, and, and that's diluting you, the shareholder. So they're not breaking accounting rules because these rules were set back in the 80s when stock-based compensation really wasn't a big part of business. 
that wasn't until really the 90s. Uh, there was actually some rules around uh, passed by the Clinton administration that basically limited how much big executives could make, but allowed them to basically earn stock-based compensation in unlimited amounts. And that's why you're seeing a lot of uh, financialization of uh, the economy, the, the stock market, et cetera. And uh, there's some unintended co consequences there. But the FASB has not updated those rules. And so companies have to account for the cost of stock-based compensation in their income statement. But uh, when they're looking at the actual income statement, it's accounted for there. So Snapchat had a $488 million net loss last year, even though the, uh, the, the cash flow looked like it was positive. So this is very common in the tech space. Uh, Netflix is another one. Operating cash flow last year was $393 million. But if you take out the stock-based compensation expense, it was actually negative $10 million. And there's actually about 1,964 companies who had negative cash flow from operations last year. And if you got rid of the stock-based compensation, that would be even more negative, okay? And there's six S&P 500 companies that showed positive free cash flow, but if you back out the stock-based compensation, it was actually negative. And for last year, there were 238 companies like that in general. Um, but only six in the S&P. So just be aware of that when you're looking at cash flow metrics that there still can be some shenanigans. Not necessarily they're breaking rules, but it's just they have not updated the rules effectively for this new uh, economy, especially in the tech space where they're issuing a ton of shares to employees. Now, I'm Justin Klein. This completes another Invest Talk program. Steve Peasley and I thank you for listening. We encourage you to tell your friends and family about our free podcast downloads and the official Invest Talk download count it's now exceeded 46 million thanks to you. Get your Invest Talk podcast anytime at iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play, and be sure to rate and review on iTunes. Independent thinking, shared success. This is Invest Talk. Good night. Invest Talk is a trademark of KPP Financial. Because of the nature of the interactive dialogue inherent in the format of this program, it's important for the listener to understand that not all comments made will apply to them. Specifically, nothing said shall be taken to be investment advice or shall statements on this program be considered an offer to buy or sell security.